Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple, a podcast for B2B marketers, specifically in the SaaS and tech world that are looking to get better at their craft and learn from their peers. Uh, joining me on the show today, Carrie Hansen, the VP of Marketing at Spiro. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you who have been around since the beginning of B2B Made Simple, um, you might remember Carrie being on the show. And she is our first guest that we ever had on the show. And she's the first guest that we've had back for round two. Uh, so this is 2.0, which I'm pretty excited about. That's exciting. Hopefully, I'll <laughs> You must have said something good on the first one. <laughs> we... <laughs> but I appreciate you being here. Um, I think last time we talked about the importance of brand um, which that's one of my favorite topics. And we're kind of trying to mix up the show a little bit and give people a perspective um, of what marketers are doing in their company and what they've been through recently, maybe some wins, some losses. Um, and today we're going to be talking about, you guys have recently narrowed your ICP. And that means you cleaned house with data. Um, you needed a whole new traffic source to your website. It's a it's not what you originally had. And I think a lot of companies are going through that or need to. And we're going to talk about like how you guys went through that. Before, before we kick it off, I do have a question for you. Um, I know where you live right now, but if you had to, so I don't, I don't know like what your preference is, but if you had to choose between East Coast and West Coast for the rest of your life, what do you think you would choose? I would definitely choose the East Coast. East Coast. Uh, I okay. actually grew up in uh, Northwestern of... Uh, the country, uh, parts of the country or Midwest, I guess, depending on how you look at it, which I love, but I love the East Coast. Okay. I like got the, it. the fast pace and I like the news being on at, at 11. So there you go. Okay. That makes sense. So I was, I was, think, I was thinking you'd lean that direction, but I wanted some clarification to kick us off. So yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Carrie, let's go ahead and, and dive into this. Um, you know, I'm curious why you guys decided to narrow your ICP first and foremost. So if there's a company that's kind of on the ledge of like, should we dive in and do this? Or is it even necessary? Where did that come from? Was it you that went to the C-suite? Was that them? How did that all come about? Yeah. So, well, so just as context, Spiro is a, a sales platform uh, driven by AI that, that um, really takes CRM capabilities and pairs it with sales enablement, a smart assistant and analytics. So um, it could be a very horizontal solution and that's how we started, but we actually um, sort of organically over the last two years were pulled into focusing really on uh, B2B companies in the supply chain. And so mm -hmm. it's, been a, it's been a progression. We realized um, early on that, you know, there's a certain size and use case that we're certainly better suited for versus B2C, uh, but then, you know, over 2019, we really started to see from a marketing perspective, uh, from a sales perspective, we were doing really well with certain industries. And so, of course, when you're doing well, you keep going there. And they they pulled us in that, that direction. And even in 2020, when, you know, the world stopped, we sell to salespeople. So it was a really hard year uh, for our target customers. But 
our customers and our prospects, they stuck with us. Even our customers, they saw the value. We were able to help them when they were having to deal with supply chain issues, with furloughed employees, with trying to handle the supply and demand that they're working on now and the, the, this overwhelming opportunity. And we just realized like there, there's such an opportunity here that if we really focus the entire company, more than just marketing and sales, um, but actually focus you know, the, the research, the development, the, the customer piece, you know, let's really go big. And it's, it's a huge market. You know, there's like a $3 billion target audience for us right there. And so we just decided as a company that we're going to focus on it even more all the way through the product. And that just makes it easier because when your product team is developing capabilities and prioritizing the features that certain industries really need, it's easier to sell to those industries. And then of course your customers in those industries are happier and they've become our best evangelists right now. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, so when you guys realized that this needed to be done, I'm, I'm sure that opened up a huge agenda that needed to be tackled. I mean, we're thinking we're talking website, um, marketing strategy, uh, social media strategy, content strategy, a, a plethora of stuff, right? Um, so when you, let's say your ICP had just you decided who you're going to go after, who you're going to focus on. Um, what was the first thing that you tackled as a marketer uh, to to kick that agenda off? Uh, well, so I think the, the first thing, frankly, just taking a step back, was um, from a marketing perspective, and you know, my colleague on the sales side, uh, we looked at the data and we wanted to make sure: did we have the pipeline, and did we could we get more of the pipeline, and really that we were making an intelligent decision. And then at the management level, we actually talked with the rest of the team of from a customer: like, are, are those customers happy? Are they the ones that aren't, aren't churning? Can they support those? You know, we really needed to make sure that it made a lot of sense. And so, from a marketing perspective, you know, we took small steps, incremental steps, to make sure that we could fill up the pipeline where we were stopping. So, you know, we we definitely, we took a, a phased approach. We started with the size of the companies first, which was a lot easier because if you're still going broad, you know, we knew these SMBs, the individual users, it just wasn't a good fit. We were priced out for them. Um, they expected a lot more. They required a lot more. Um, and so they were the ones that weren't happy with us anyway. And so we started moving upstream. And from a marketing perspective, we really focused on um, the inbound leads. And by the way, I hate calling them inbound because they don't just come to you. You have to actually do outbound marketing to bring them <laughs> inbound. So, you know, let's, let's call a spade a spade there. But so from a marketing perspective, we really focused on making sure we were getting the quality leads from a sizing perspective. And then we started looking ahead for um, as we started shifting into bringing in more of certain industries, how could we do that in a way that hit all of our, our core um, metrics from, you know, building pipeline, having enough leads, you know, you can't, you can't just turn off and shift because it takes several months, sometimes several quarters to really build up the brand, the traffic and all of that. And so we really looked at what could we do instantly? And then where did we need to start making long-term shifts? And we just sort of turned the giant uh, ship over the course of several quarters, if you will. Yeah. So let's start with what was the instant shift that you had to make? And then we'll tackle what was the long-term shift um, here in a second. So what were some things that you did instantly uh, that kind of geared you up for what you guys were going for? Was it filtering who was coming to the website? Um, what did that look like? Yeah, so the first one was uh, size and country or geography was easy because we knew uh, we we had a very popular 
blog, we were getting a lot of international traffic, but it was really US and Canada that we were focused on. And then, like I said, we, we were moving more to the mid-market. And so that was an easy one because from a numbers perspective, I was confident that I was I could bring in the right leads and, and not influence or, or impact the sales. And so what we did was on the, the website, all of our lead forms, we actually, we asked by employee size and we asked by, um, geography and if you said you know i'm in south america uh pick a country we would pop up um something saying you know we we don't actually have in-country support for you right now we don't think we're a good fit we would really encourage you to look elsewhere best of luck uh by size um you know we would we would have a similar message there was some blurring of the lines because especially in the supply chain you know some companies you know they might be smaller but almost all of their their company is a salesperson so the sales team is actually within what we were targeting. And so uh, if they popped up something or if they chose that they were too small by our standards, our first message would say, hey, we just want to let you know that our platform starts at $12,000 a year. Does that make sense? And a lot of them by size would be like, oh, I can't afford that. Yeah. No, thank you. And then we would, you know, good luck. Um, there, there's a lot of tools that that may be, be a fit for you. Uh, if they agreed to that, they would come in, but we would mark them. Uh, and then from a uh, inside sales, the, our BDR team, they started doing the same thing where, you know, they gave marketing a little bit of a head start and then they started changing who they were calling out to. And over time you could sort of see, then that's obviously what was coming down the funnel for the, the sales team. Um, also at the same time, that was where I took the internal uh, email list that we had. It was probably about, I think I was saying 70, 75,000 names uh, that we had built up over a couple of years, uh, very engaged. We had a lot of op uh, high open rates. A lot of people loved our blog, uh, but I actually went in and I made it so I unsubscribed like 60,000 of them. So I completely mm -hmm. took them out of our system because I didn't want to bring them back in. And so um, instantly it impacted our website traffic, uh, which from a marketer, you know, no one wants to see that, but it wasn't the right traffic. And so... Yeah. You know why why bring that in when i knew i didn't want them anyway and so we took that out and then that let us um, filter on who we were retargeting and start working our way through because the challenge is if you if you want to shift your audience but you're still going after your audience you bring in the old with the new and you know you you sort of at some point have to cut off the pain a little bit yeah um you brought up a point about pricing and that was how you eliminated um some of the smaller businesses which i get it um I think you mentioned that like you had an SDR or whatever, like qualify them is, was pricing on your website so that they could see and kind of like turn off right there? No. And so, um, we, we didn't have our, our price on our website, but we did have a minimum, um, because mm. it, there was, there's enough variables. Yeah. Um, so we did have a minimum that if they said their employee size was less than 50, we would pop up a note because if you go out, you could find our minimum price point. Oh, I see. Um, we oh. wanted to be pretty clear. Like we don't want to waste your time. If you're looking for, you know, a hundred dollar tool, there's a lot of things that are free out there, but it's not us. Mm -hmm. And I really, honestly, I don't want my SDR team, uh, my BDR team to waste their time calling these folks who we know we're not a fit for them. Mm -hmm. The same with like, you know, if they said they were a B2C, um, we, we actually had some prospects that would say, you know, I, I've heard great things about you. I really want to talk to you. And, you know, we had to convince them, like, we, we understand that, but we are not a good, like, we have done enough of this. We know what your use cases are going to be. Our product is not ideal for you. You're not going to be successful. And, you know, we had to be honest with them. Yeah, we kind of have gone through a similar um, path with honing in our ICP. And I, we did something similar to you with the pricing. And I like that you bring that up. It's 
I am a huge fan of at least having some sort of transparency when it comes to pricing on a website. And I understand that there are a lot of um, custom services and in the SaaS world as well. I mean, some of these platforms are tailored, especially in enterprise, to be totally different from one client to the other price-wise, right? Um, and I love that you guys had minimum pricing, at least. At least it came up at some point like, hey, this is where it starts. And then people can qualify themselves. And we do the exact same thing because our service is custom, right? We can't say this is X amount of dollars, but we do say it starts at X. And it has really helped our website traffic and our inbound leads to really kind of qualify themselves and kind of eliminate some of the smaller businesses that we had worked with. So if you're listening to this, pricing needs to be transparent, um, especially from a consumer standpoint. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You can say it starts at. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. And I, you know, especially when you're going to the mid-market, you know, if you come to our website, you won't quickly find starts at, because I think it's, it starts a very different conversation when you sell an enterprise platform. Um, mm. But I do think at some point, and when you talk to our, uh, our BDR team, you know, we do talk about pricing once we know a little bit more about how many users, you know, what is your um, instance going to look like? Because there's nothing worse than wasting their time and wasting our time. You know, we don't want our sales team focusing on someone who is only going to spend $5,000 when there's just, it's not something that we provide. And there's a lot of SMB tools out there that would be very good for them. And, you know, we're, we're happy to point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And why not let them realize that on their own long before you waste sales resources, trying to get them on the phone or in a demo or whatever it is. So I'm a huge fan of that for sure. Um, so as for the initial, like short-term, was there anything else that you guys did besides, um, really shaving down your website traffic and your email list? So we, the other thing that we did was we started shifting our marketing spend and we started shifting our marketing message. So we were, we were still very broad, but we certainly, you know, the, these industries that we knew we were doing well with, we would focus on outlets where, you know, for example, on LinkedIn, we knew that a lot of our uh, Legion campaigns performed very well there. So we were trying to get ahead. Um, you know, I always say, I think marketing needs to be a good six to nine months ahead of where the sales team needs to be. Um, so we started shifting, building up our brand a little bit that way, getting them in so that we could build a little bit of this pipeline because at some point we knew we were gonna have to shift and you can't take away... Uh, on the website, it's easy to say, well, I'm going to take away traffic and over time I'll build it up. But you can't go to a salesperson and say, I'm going to take away two thirds of your pipeline or a third of your pipeline. And in a couple of months, I'll fill it. You sort of have to give them more pipeline and then trim it down so that mm -hmm. they can focus. Um, and that was, that was really important to us. Mm -hmm. So when you guys started on your marketing strategy, what does that look like? Did you talk to customers first? Had you already been talking to them? I know you guys did some initial stuff, but now you're thinking like long-term, walk us through that. Yeah, so uh, we certainly have talked to our customers all along. Once we as a company realized, you know, the supply chain, uh, there was so much opportunity, this is where we were going to go. And so we were going to focus as a company. And when I say as a company, not just marketing and sales, but, you know, the, the product development and the product prioritization and the customer success team, um, you know, we really took a step back and we started talking to all of our customers who were in that space. We also sent out a survey to about 20,000 potential prospects. Um, just to, you know, we said, we'll give you a $20 gift card if you'll answer some questions, because we wanted to know a little bit more about what was their biggest priorities, what were they thinking about, what were their concerns. And so from a marketing perspective, I think that data was really important because 
you know, I, I had a lot of anecdotal data from the customers I was speaking to, um, but it's also a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where if you have a happy customer, they're telling you that they love this. This is, you know, it was obviously a perfect fit. And I wanted to talk to those customers we weren't talking to or someone we would like to talk to down the road of, you know, what, without knowing anything about us, what are your challenges? And so that data gave us a lot of really good insights. And then from a marketing perspective, you know, it was really around shifting our branding, both, you know, our, our visuals, you know, if you're selling to the supply chain, manufacturers, construction, you know, having a uh, stock photography that looks like a marketing agency doesn't work. You know, we, we're, we're selling to um, companies that are, they, they can be very large, you know, hundred million in revenue, uh, but they're out on the road. There are construction companies. There are, you know, folks in a hard hat with an iPad. There's a mobile workforce. And so you just have to be able to relate to them. We started shifting our messaging um, and we did a gradual. Um, and there was a little bit of you know, sort of building the airplane as you were flying it because, you know, we, we were shifting, we were running, we are a startup, you got to be agile. So we were targeting them. We would test some of the messaging on LinkedIn, especially because it was performing so well. And so we would try based on our research, oh, we think this message might do really well, this one, and we would look at the click-through rates and then we could iterate that pretty fast. And then we could take that through our website. And when I say website, I mean like some of our content, our assets that we were providing and really start making that shift. And then of course you have to make that shift all the way through because if you talk to them at the top of the funnel and then you bring them in, then you have to look at the BDR, uh, the call scripts that they're talking to, how they're cold calling these companies all the way through the sales team. So as a company, we were working our way through. Um, it helped that our CS team is really engaged. They have a lot of great feedback. They've shared a lot of um, success and the value that our customers are getting. Uh, we were able to promote um, our G2 page to our customers and they were really happy to go out and give us some reviews. Um, some actually would come to us and say, can I be on your website? Let me, let me be quoted. Uh, we started sending uh -huh. them swag uh, as a thank you for, you know, that we were interviewing them, we were talking to them. So we would send them, um, you know, some Spiro branding swag and they would send us pictures of, you know, them out on a job site with a mug or in a t-shirt or something. And so we, we just tried to really focus on building, you know, the right messaging, the right tone, engaging with, with more of our customers and promoting them. And then eventually we were able to really rebuild the branding within that. And, you know, we're, we're certainly at the early stages. So there's a lot of lot more we have to do. But I do think from, you know, again, I hate calling it inbound because there's a lot of outbound to bring them inbound. But we have over the last several quarters, I think now when you look at our website, um, the people coming in through our forms, we still filter. Uh, we still sort of filter to the extreme, but the ones that we pass through, the marketing qualified leads are highly focused. They're high quality. Um, they're the right people at the right companies. And so we feel really good about that. And it's, um, you know, at this place, you know, now we, we've hit all of the, the key places or the key foundational pieces. Now we know where we can really start accelerating. So we know we want to do more branding. We know we have the right storyline. We just want to tell it more places. And mm -hmm. uh, now we can really do the fun stuff, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to tell a marketer, um, like you're, you're Carrie Hansen, this is how you do it. How would you get more of the right traffic to your website? I think... Really, the biggest thing is to focus on quality, not quantity. And so the challenge as a marketer is we want to have a huge website that everybody goes to, and we want to have a ton of leads that we send to the sales team. And that's great. But if none of your leads are converting, it's crap, right? And so I think you have to be confident in your approach to go. And so I went to the sales team. I went to our CEO and I said, I can send you really good leads, but it's going to be a fraction of what I was sending you a year ago. 
but they close faster and they close bigger and it works. And so, you know, if you look at where the company is trying to go and the impact, it's huge. If you look at just, I'm going to look at my marketing numbers from an MQL perspective, well, they're a lot smaller. I mean, they're probably a third of what I was doing, you know, in 2019. And I think that intimidates marketers, but I don't think, you know, I think it's a very tactical approach. And the same with the website, you know, we sent a lot of our traffic to our blog. People love our blog. It's, you know, we don't promote Spiro on it. We just like to have a good time, talk about um, some tips and trips, ticks, some tips and tricks for anybody uh, who's selling. And so I'm happy to send people there. And so our blog traffic is really high and, you know, I'm happy with that. But if you're not somebody that I want to sell to, I'm okay with you not coming to the core of my website. And so the core homepage traffic is a lot lower than it was. And again, I think that really intimidates marketers, but it's quality traffic. And when they convert and they sort of work their way through all of that content and they self-select for us, a marketing lead is that they've actually said, please call me. So it's not just their download. Like we don't, we don't gate anything. Our only CTA is call me. And so at that point, you know, it's high, high value traffic who are saying, yes, I want to be called. Half of them will actually schedule their call online with one of our BDRs. And that's, you know, for me, I think that's moving the needle on the sales side. Um, and that's where marketers really should be focusing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I whole, wholeheartedly agree with that because as good as the traffic looks, it's very tempting for marketers to, to focus on that. But I am in the camp of quality over quantity for sure. Um, definitely with you on that. <laughs> um, the last question I have for you is you guys, one of the last steps, and obviously this is a continual process that you're going through, but you recently worked on buyer personas. Um, can you walk us through what that looked like? Yeah, I think, so the last step really, you know, we, we focus on the size of the company. We focus on the country, you know, that's table stakes. It's everyone should be doing that anyway. Then we really focused on the supply chain, tried to, to get the right folks. And then within that, you know, you still want to make sure that it's the buyers who are coming through. And so as a sales platform, you know, a VP of sales, a VP of marketing, the CEO, the, the COO, they're highly involved in the, the buying process. And so that's the person we want to make sure that we're talking to. But at the same time, because we're competing with CRM platforms, like a Salesforce, every salesperson has used a crappy tool and they they're not necessarily um, influencing the decision, but they can kill that decision quickly. And so we wanted to make sure that those end users knew who we were as a company. They knew that we had a sense of humor. They knew that we were committed to their success and that we understood they didn't wanna sit there and, and do this mind numbing data entry. And so really what we focused on within our ICP, within the right size industry was making sure that those end users that we're still going to them from a branding perspective. We want, if a VP of sales or a VP of marketing says to their team, oh, I'm looking at this company called Spiro, I want them to say, oh, I've heard of them. I read their blog. They have great tips. Like they should know who we are. So from a branding perspective, we're making sure we're targeting them. Uh, our blog, that's really where I try to focus that traffic because it is high value traffic. It's just not top of the funnel traffic. And I think that's an important differentiation. And so, you know, we send them there. We, we love to have fun. And then the folks who are involved in the buying process, um, the decision maker, we try to bring them in. And then once we start that process and we know, well, the CFO might be involved or marketing might be involved, we do nurture um, campaigns to, to anybody who would be involved in that to make sure that they know who we are. And I think that's really important because I think, you know, certainly you want to bring in the right person and that right lead. But again, if a marketer really focuses on that sales 
data and the sales stat and how fast we're closing more deals, you know that if everybody in the company loves your company, it's easier. You know that if you're marketing to all of the influencers that the AE is trying to talk to, it just makes their job easier. And so we want to make sure that, that we keep that in mind as well. So something we didn't do on our first episode together, um, I wanted to try it out with you. We've been doing it for a little while now, but it's where you be, you get to become the podcast host for the remainder of our time here. Um, and basically, if you have any questions that you want to shoot my way, um, let me have Adam. Uh, yeah. So I think the, the first one, uh, it's always interesting to put you in the hot seat. Uh, I think the first <laughs> one is so we're talking about rebuilding website uh, traffic. And, you know, surely I, I understand the value of content and the value of SEO and the more content you have, the more SEO you have. But I am curious, what other out of the box strategies have you seen companies use to, to build or rebuild or to shift their traffic uh, while they wait for that SEO to catch up? Mm -hmm. um, this can be either a long-term or a short-term solution, depending on how you do it, but create demand in social networks with your content. Um, so you can do this organically or paid. So if you're going to build an audience, it's going to take a while if it's organically, but you can distribute content paid as well. Um, and with that being said, it needs to be something that's helpful for your ideal customer, your new ICP, something that's helpful or educational that helps them in their professional life or even in their personal life that they're going to be interested in. And by doing that, you're going to constantly be getting in front of them. They're going to start engaging with your company and they're going to explore, oh, you know what? I enjoy this content from Carrie. I enjoy this content from Spiro. I enjoy this content from Sam. I'm going to look into what they do. They're going to see the LinkedIn headline or wherever it is you're distributing content. And they're going to have a familiarity with your brand. And I have seen companies do this so well that it's really one of their only strategies. And they create so much traffic to their website from exactly who they want because they're creating content with that person in mind. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good strategy. Um, so my other question, obviously, you have worked with a lot of websites, and we're talking about building up this traffic, bringing in the traffic. But I am curious, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, you have to maintain the back end of the website, you have to keep it healthy. So I'm curious, in terms of all like the less sexy chores around a website, what do you think is the most important maintenance chore that companies should be paying attention to that perhaps maybe they, they don't give as much TLC that they should? Mm -hmm. uh, the first thing I would say is daily backups. And that's not necessarily maintenance to a site, but it's more of a preventative measure um, in case something does happen that you've been sleeping on chore-wise, right? Um, you could pull up your website if something were to happen to it. And I think more companies than people realize probably are not focusing on this. And we have encountered that just with what we do. Hey, you know, our website went down. Well, do you have access to the backups? Oh, <laughs> no. Um, so at least get those squared away. And then the second thing is, um, we're actually working with this right now is a company, they, they have a ton of old plugins on their website that they're inactive, but they're still hanging around. And because of that, their theme broke and their website is bogged down speed wise. Um, and I think that one's kind of overlooked is remove old plugins that you're not using anymore, even if they're inactive because they can cause a lot of issues down the road. Um, and then on top of that, just make sure things stay updated uh, and secure and just follow best practices when it comes to websites. I know it can sound mundane and boring, um, but security can be a, a pretty big factor when it comes to WordPress especially. So uh, make sure you stay on top of it. 
Yeah, you know, I have to say the uh, the plugins. Um, I, I totally agree. I think that's a big problem. One of the things that we we've learned, um, and I've certainly been a huge fan of, is we target salespeople, sales leaders. They're very mobile, and if your mm-hmm. if your website isn't fast, they're not going to stay. And um, so we we actually have a dashboard internally that my team and I we look at our our speed on a regular basis because mm-hmm. if it's not fast enough, you know, if you put in too many pop ups or something you're going to lose that mobile traffic. And it's, it's critical for us to make sure that the mobile, they come and they can open it. Yeah. And you have, honestly, you just have to look at your website through the eyes of a consumer. If you were on target.com and it took 10 seconds to load, I would probably skip over to Walmart's website to get what I needed. Right. And that's me as a consumer. So our consumers and our buyers are no different. They want convenience over everything. They want things now. They want it quickly and they don't want to sit around and wait, right? So apply that to your website. Just like you said, speed is a huge factor and there are a lot of things that slow that down. So make it a priority so that the user experience is a pleasurable one. Right. And also, you know, not to get into the weeds too much, but it influences your domain authority, which, mm-hmm. you know, then Google will... The, the I don't think many people know that. I, I yeah. Google does prioritize speed. Um, so if that's something that you haven't focused on, uh, we tell our clients that a lot. It's it's something that needs to be done. Um, and it, it, this website, especially we were working on, uh, so, so slow because they didn't follow best practices on their website. Um, and now we have to go in and do massive cleanup mode on, on what's been going on. So... <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the challenge with, uh, you know, a WordPress website, there's a lot of free plugins, there's mm-hmm. a lot of free add-ons that you're like, oh, let's try this. Yeah, it's it's almost too easy. Yeah, uh, one, one thing I would add is as much as we're like dogging it, it can be done right. There are best practices to follow. And when done right, I mean, I love WordPress. It's what we use and that's what we develop on. Um, it is wonderful platform. You just have to make sure that you uh, you're, you dot your I's and cross your T's the entire time. <laughs> right. Well, awesome, Carrie. I appreciate you you being here on the podcast. I know you mentioned it in the beginning, but give us a quick rundown one more time of what Spiro does um, to close us out. Sure. So uh, like I said, Spiro is a sales platform for the supply chain. We provide CRM capabilities, sales enablement, a virtual uh, sales assistant and analytics so that uh, marketers, salespeople, operations, they, they can see every interaction with a customer from email marketing to invoices. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for joining me for round two. It's been good to have you back on the show. First official guest coming back twice. Um, So I appreciate you, you doing that and being willing to join me. Thanks. I'm excited to be the repeat.